All right, we're joined today with Dr. Marjan Nazarati, who is a clinical geneticist. Um, could you please begin by giving us a brief overview of your career and research interests and kind of what your day-to-day is? Sure. Um, so most geneticists in Canada work in um, a hospital setting where um, we work in various settings, uh, various hospital settings, and most of the time it's in an academic setting, although there are a few of us who work in community hospitals. Um, depending on where you work, you could have an area of specialty, so there are some geneticists who are really narrowed in on a very specific area of genetics, and other people who are uh, broader generalists, and I probably am, fall into that broader generalist kind of a category. Um, I work as a clinical geneticist, and I work in a community hospital, and we see uh, patients who are referred to see us from the prenatal setting all the way through old age. So I've had referrals on people who are in their 80s, and uh, I see probably a third of my practice is uh, women who are pregnant, um, where there is an abnormality or a concern found during the pregnancy or because of the family history. Right. So what kind of cases would be referred to you? So is it mostly... uh like diseases that are very intertwined with the genetics, or are there is there genetic testing involved? Like what kind of? So it's actually a real mishmash. Um, like I said, we see the prenatal setting because uh, something is seen on ultrasound, or there's a family history where people are wondering, could this be a genetic thing, or could this baby be at risk for developing a genetic problem that's in the family? Um, for children, we can get referred kids who have developmental delay or autism. Um, or kids who are born with differences like heart defects or multiple things that uh, that are not kind of make them a little bit different where people are suspecting there might be sometimes seizure disorders mm-hmm. um, uh, even skin abnormalities a whole variety of things it's sort of any organ system adults we often see again sometimes because they've gone through their whole lives undiagnosed with a particular thing that people are suspecting might be genetic and uh, or there is a family history of something and then older people um, we see people who are let's say have a very strong family history of even hypercholesterolemia or diabetes where we now know there are certain genetic problems that can result in, albeit a small percentage of individuals with these problems because they're so common, but in some families, genetic testing is indicated. So it's really a very broad um, mishmash of things. Right. So if someone is referred to you and they have some sort of genetic disease or some genetic predisposition to a disease, uh, can you alter their genetic code to prevent it from happening? Or like, what steps do you take from there? We do not alter um, genetic code. Um, there, are, There is some gene editing techniques that have been developed recently that is not, they, these are not currently being used in clinical, in clinical care at all. However, that doesn't mean that we don't always have treatment for um, genetic diseases. Um, these, gene- these treatments f- over the last I don't know, however long genetics has been in place, has been more sort of surveillance and preventative. But I think that over the next 20, 30, 50 years, we probably will hopefully develop specific treatments for different genetic diseases. So there are conditions, for example, if, as I said, familial hypercholesterolemia, there's medications that you can use to treat the high cholesterol and reduce that risk. Um, So if someone, if we know that there's a strong family history of high cholesterol and we test and we find that there is a particular genetic change in a particular gene, there might be specific treatment available for those individuals who have genetic problems because of, or who have hypercholesterolemia because of that 
changes in a particular gene. Um, but we don't currently do gene editing in any way, mm. um, shape or form. But we're hoping that there will be treatments available for genetic problems, although not necessarily, again, not gene editing necessarily. Okay, okay. cool. Um, so as a geneticist, do you have any kind of thoughts or opinions about the ethical implications of genetic testing? Um, I think that uh, geneticists are very aware of uh, the importance of ethics and how um, how much we need to consider that uh, in our daily practice. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of concerns about the ethical implications of genetic testing per se, because the test just provides you with information. Mm -hmm. It may be something that should give us all a little bit of pause is what people are going to do with that information and whether it could be used in an unethical way. Um, I don't think that most of the time when I'm practicing, I don't. that's not really something that I need to be concerned about because people are coming with a particular problem or a particular question and I'm trying to do my best to answer that question. And most of the time it doesn't, um, it sort of begins and ends with that with the clinical encounter and the testing and trying to answer that question. But I suppose there are things that could happen in the future where uh, one, someone could then use the results of genetic testing to, uh, to use that information in a way that maybe as a society we will think is an unethical or an inappropriate way. Um, and I think we are aware that as technology develops and advances that those things need to be thought about. But uh, right now, in our daily practice, and not to say that ethical issues don't come up, mm -hmm. because they do, but in our daily practice, it's not something that we struggle with too, too much on a daily basis. Right, right. Um, and if there is some sort of ethical issue that comes up, is that something, like, is that up to each individual geneticist to kind of navigate, or is there a broader system in place that kind of... So. I think there are some guidelines that we all practice by. Um, for example, one of the ethical things that we, um, we've dealt with as a, as a practice, as a specialty, is uh, genetic testing in children for adult onset conditions. Mm. Um, and the, the stance that we have in genetics is that we do not offer genetic testing in children for an adult onset condition. So if we know there's a family history of something that will show up when you're 60, 50, 40, we don't test a three-year-old or a five-year-old for that. We allow that, we suggest that that child be allowed to grow up, reach the age of 18 or 19 or an age at which they can make a decision whether they want to know the answer to that question or oh, not. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So that the only exception to that is if symptoms show up earlier because nothing is absolute. So even though, for example, an adult con onset condition, the symptoms, we don't necessarily expect to see them till adulthood, they might show up earlier. And if symptoms show up earlier and they could have management and treatment implications, then we do offer testing earlier. So that's one of the things that we've thought about as a, as a specialty and as a practice. We've put that in place and I think that's pretty universal across the world. Mm -hmm. However, ethical issues are not, um, they're not always easy to predict what's going to come up. So sometimes you could be in a situation where um, something comes up and you think, well, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to deal with this particular situation. And uh, we talk to our colleagues. Uh, we do have a specialty body that we can um, consult with sometimes. 
And there are ethicists, and we all have um, gotten in touch with ethicists trying to navigate and help us through a particular situation. Wow, interesting. Um, so for those uh, kind of ethical decisions about uh, like not testing children, does that change if the... Well, are there any genetic diseases where it'll be adult onset, but you can prevent it in childhood, or is that just not a thing? Right. Well, now no, that's a really good question. <clears throat> no, there isn't right now. Um, we don't have preventative things, but that's one of the, when we were talking a little bit earlier about treatment, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I think would make us change our practice is, let's say we, we have an adult onset neurological condition or any other kind of condition, a cancer disorder, where we know that this person has a high risk of developing this particular condition or symptoms, let's say in 20 years, but if we were to start treating them 20 years before, we would reduce the risk of developing the condition to virtually zero or significantly, then I think we would offer testing. Right. Um, so that's when, when I was talking about if there are management or um, treatment implications, mm-hmm. we would offer testing. Right. So I think that if that were to be the case, then it would be very different. Um, and then we would have to relook at it. Right, that's really interesting. Um, so can genes be altered by your environment at all? Genes can be altered by our environment in a way that, for, 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 for one thing, we know that, for example, um, I think there's, a, and th- I'm a little bit on thin ice here because I don't have a lot of uh, first-hand knowledge about this. I haven't done a lot of reading about it myself, but I think, uh, as far as I know, for example, the nuclear disaster in Chernobyl in the 80s, there was a lot of children, there were a lot of children that were born with um, birth defects and so on after that. So that was probably a direct effect of the nuclear radiation and and, uh, maybe genetic mutations that happened as a result of that. And I think the same is probably also true for Hiroshima. Um, not only children with birth defects, but in Hiroshima, there were also a lot of cancers and or um, right. in, in Nagasaki, there were a lot of cancers that we probably resulted as a result of, uh, probably happened as a result of the um, nuclear radiation and, and the damage to the DNA that was done. And then on the other side of it is also, um, there are, DNA can be modified um, to turn it on or off, and there, so there are different methylation is one example of genetic imprinting that isn't actually in the DNA, but it's attached to the DNA and it, it modifies things. And we are now learning more and more about how our environment can affect that, um, affect that sort of uh, DNA modification. So I think that the short answer to this is we're still learning. We think yes, but we're still learning about right. it. And like, so I guess in terms of the example with Chernobyl and Hiroshima, so those were genetic issues that showed up after um, some major event or after something happened. And we could, you know, look backwards and think, okay, so this was caused by this. Is there any way to look forwards and think, okay, you know, um, if these genes were hypothetically exposed to this environment, would anything happen to them? Like, is that a thing you can do, or is it mostly? I think that I think it's done in definitely it's done in labs. Right. Uh, you know, DNA is exposed to all kinds of things that that people are trying to figure out how it would affect that DNA. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there is, but not in an and maybe in mice or or animal systems mm-hmm. that are used in labs, but not not in humans. Obviously, yeah. we have no way of doing that, um, and it wouldn't be ethical. Right. Oh, <laughs> <We> for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what's something that makes you passionate about your field? Um, 
Well, one of the things that I have to say is one of the best things about being a practicing clinical genetics is that no two days are ever the same. Mm-hmm. Um, there are my job is infinitely interesting. It is it is so fascinating, and I'm learning stuff every single time, even with the type of cases that come in because you say I've seen a hundred of these still um, some aspect of it might be different that would challenge you whether it's ethically whether it's because of uh, the situations that have come up whether it's because it's just scientifically very interesting or humanistically if you will very interesting so that's one of the things I really really like I like the fact that I'm constantly learning and I really like the fact that um, it's just so varied wow that sounds yeah. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. I like. I could never be a doctor because I throw up at the sight of blood. Yeah. But uh, you're making me more <laughs> interested. I'm like, wow, genetics, maybe. Yeah. That's well. Cool. You don't see a lot of blood in genetics. So. I, yeah, I would hope not. <laughs> so, so if you think you might be interested in, in being a doctor, um, yeah, genetics might be a right a, a good alternative because it's you know, we don't see see a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, we're not a procedure heavy uh, specialty. It's more of a talking specialty, at least that's, at this point. That's good news. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for yeah. coming and talking to us. It was so fascinating. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, so I hope it's. Uh, I hope it was interesting. I makes sense. Yeah, I hope it, made sense. it totally did. It totally <laughs> okay. did. Thank you so much. That You're was welcome. Dr. Marjan Nazarati.